The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up. We gather for ordered worship. The liturgy and music and homily are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your decisions about forms of service in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. We worship together to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, and to devote the will to the purposes of God. We gather to worship Almighty God. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
may we pray. Almighty and everlasting God, in Christ you have revealed your glory among the nations. Preserve the works of your mercy that your church throughout the world may persevere with steadfast faith in the confession of your name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. We sometimes forget that under the we littlest of things, there reside the greatest eternal mysteries. We sometimes miss that under the little blankets of separate experience, there reside lasting, loving mysteries. We forget that there is eternity in a grain of sand. There is heaven in a wildflower, and there is religious experience on a parent's weekend. Let us bow for confession as our choir sings for us and with us our traditional Kyrie. Let us pray. Thou whose resplendent radiance fills heaven and earth, grant us thy peace, we pray. Amen. Beloved, if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all un unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the Epistle to the Hebrews. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Every high priest chosen from among mortals is put in charge of things pertaining to God on their behalf, 
to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is subject to weakness. And because of this, he must offer sacrifice for his own sins, as well as for those of the people. And one does not presume to take this honor, but takes it only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. The word of the Lord.
I invite you to join us in reading responsibly verses of Psalm 104 with the Antiphon. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. Wrapped in light as with a garment, you stretch out the heavens like a tent. You set the beams of your chambers on the waters. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride on the wings of the wind. You make the winds your messengers fire and flame your ministers. You set the earth on its foundations so that it shall never be shaken. You cover it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. And at your rebuke they flee. At the sound of your thunder they take to flight. They rose up to the mountains, ran down to the valleys, to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they may not, might not again cover the earth. Lord, how you manifold for your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Praise the Lord. Now please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark, chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. 
James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, we are able. Then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the other ten heard about this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them all and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of God came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Gospel of our Lord. Lord Christ. After my father died two years ago, we began, as families do, to arrange his things, his desk and his tools, his books, his guns, his clothes. In every life, there is order, there is play, there is hope, there is justice, there is humor. We didn't make much progress. We still haven't made that much. The desk has little folders with titles there. It's a step. The tools that are four generations deep, including the ones purchased in the last, are there a little bit more tidily arranged. The books, now there's a story. Forty years of preacher under Alan, A-L-L-A-N, Knight Chalmers, for whom I was named, who taught his students to read a book a day. There are plenty, plenty of books. The guns, a relic of North Country deer hunting, handled by, legally I might add, by two lawyer siblings. And the clothes for work and for play there in the closet, a dollhouse built for a granddaughter that was brought back for repair but never was repaired and now has been fixed and sent to a great-granddaughter's home. We didn't make very much progress and I was either asked or assigned or self-assigned to deal with the books, and I dawdled and lollygagged and procrastinated. I found uh, ways to avoid, and then when I went, I found I didn't make much headway at all. I I took some uh, collections of sermons, uh, Tittle and Fosdick, Chalmers himself, some Boston books, 
Booth and Bowne and Thurman, a collection of Jacques Ellul, which we used in a Lenten series two years ago. But you know, each time I went, I found that uh, I went more slowly because I was reading not just the signature and the dating, but those little markings in the, no, in the, in the margin, the notations, and especially the underlining. And I was wondering, first, what is that? And then second, what does that mean? The lasting grief of the earthly loss of my dad, strangely, has found a spiritual bridge across the river Styx, earth to heaven, in a humble preacher's library. We're in communion, he and I, through the underlining. This is Parents' Weekend, and while the separation of leaving and letting go and coming and going is not as mammoth, that is, the distance from Minneapolis to Boston is not quite the distance from earth to heaven, but it's mammoth enough. Those who leave and those who are left behind, those who are giving up and those who are going on, these are difficult sacrifices. I haven't even begun to discuss the tuition check beginning and end of semester. Maybe that's why we come, parents and children, to worship on Sunday, because we recognize that there will be times in the future when a spiritual bridge is needed across a great chasm, an expanding chasm. Hear the good news from Mark chapter 1035, recommended to us today as your spiritual bridge generation to generation is the excitement and verve of real religious experience. By that I mean more experience than religion, but religious experience nonetheless. Not so much chancel and pulpit and organ and stained glass and a clerical collar and preaching gown, but ordinary daily head of the Charles, Sunday afternoon, resplendent, religious experience. After a while this summer, I went back and I uh, found in the books uh, a tome whose title I recognized. It was written in 1969. It was written, as it happens, by a colleague, an acquaintance, a friend here at Boston University still. Its title was stolen for today's sermon title, A Rumor of Angels by Dr. Peter Berger. I knew of the book and I knew its argument that God is not dead, that religion is not dead, that religious experience is not very far away, but confession being good for the soul, I had never read it. I stuffed it in my bag. It's hard to recast for you the context of 1968, and I shan't try except to sketch what it was like when he was writing. 1968, when the strongest term in the religious vocabulary was the word secular, when the cover of Time magazine carried the title, Is God Dead?, when uh, a few years earlier some Administrative malfeasance led to experiments in the basement of Marsh Chapel when the greatest 
camp meeting of the age, the greatest religious gathering and musical camp meeting of the age, happened in a small town in upstate New York called Woodstock, in the mud and in the rain. What were those young people thinking? When all hell was breaking loose, Peter Berger wrote about heaven. He wrote about signs of transcendence. He wrote about experience, incandescent. He wrote about signposts to transcendence. You may not think of yourself as a very religious person, and that's fine. But under the little things, the wee little blankets, day to day, evening and morning, if you listen, you may just see and sense something of the eternal. Berger's outline is as contemporary today as it was 43 years ago. Two weeks from now, I'll have lunch with him and see how I did. You know, it's a little bit like that Woody Allen film where Woody Allen is waiting for a ticket at a movie theater. He's trying to impress his girlfriend, so he talks about Marshall McLuhan, Marshall McLuhan's books, Marshall McLuhan's philosophy, Marshall McLuhan's cultural critique. And all of a sudden, the man ahead of him in line turns around, and it's Marshall McLuhan. And he turns to Alan's character and says, you know, everything you've said and I've heard is totally bogus, so I hope that won't happen at lunch. <laughs> I don't think it will. That is, under the aegis of Mark 10 and 35, which reminds us that things aren't always quite as they seem, that appearance and reality are not equivalent, that the littlest becomes the largest, the least becomes the most, twists us a little bit, reminds us of the power of experience. We'll call it religious, by that I mean non-religious experience. First, in your life now, in a blessed rage for order, as David Tracy called it a generation later, Almost every one of us in this sanctuary and listening across the radio waves, North Shore, Cape Cod, all, has in some way a sense and a desire for order. Some of us are neat freaks, when in doubt, throw it out. Some of us are hoarders, never throw anything away. Both are signs of a desire for order. Berger wrote that there is in the human being a sense of orderliness, a desire, a trust in reality that over time, ultimately we might say, there is to be an order to things. Things will be set right. There, there is a, a place and time in order. Parents, young adult children, over time, talk a bit about these things. They may be your spiritual bridge you blessed ones who have voice and sight and face to face. Second, there is the matter of, of play. Especially when adults play, they leave one time zone, if you will, and enter another. There's something Berger wrote about the deathless innocence of childhood that returns to adults who deign to enter a time of play. I see every summer middle-aged men uh, going three or four hours across a green field, 
following a tiny little white ball that seems to have a mind of its own. I see women and men up and down Newberry Street hunting, looking, purchasing, laughing. They seem to be enjoying themselves. I hear students talk about something called the world of Warcraft, some game that's out there and lastingly endless. I hear a student right here on Commonwealth Avenue, where have you been? I've been playing intramural basketball. How was it? It was When we enter that time zone called play, especially as adults, we move into another kind of experience, a deathless innocence. Those of you who saw the film Moonrise Kingdom recently know exactly the point of the gospel there. Talk about it a bit, parents and children. There is, as well, a sign, an incandescent sign of lasting meaning in hope. Hope springs eternal in the human breast. Man never lives but always to be blessed. That's Pope, but it's, it's close to us. Yesterday in the library, I see the Martin King quote, you take one step, but you don't know where the staircase is going. Where there's life, there's hope. Better said, where there's hope, there's life. We saw a real film called Hope Springs with Meryl Streep and Tommy Lee Jones about a marriage that's challenged and a couple that was willing honestly to struggle and make things not perfect, but a little, a little bit better, wrote Berger so long ago. The human being is inherently hopeful, hopeful, consequently oriented toward the future, hopeful, consequently involved in projects. Our projects are so important to us, from the child in the nursery with games and balls and toys, to the elderly man in the nursing home writing painstakingly a memoir. We are beings who lean toward the future. Parents, children, talk about it. There's a spiritual bridge there across which we may find happy communion. Berger's fourth, I shift a little bit, he used the word damnation, and I don't have time to explain what he meant by that, so I'm going to use the word justice. Every one of us has a lasting sense that when someone gets away with murder, they shouldn't get away with murder. And that there are some things in this life that are so tragic and so awful, as Berger wrote, they cry out to heaven. And as he then wrote, those things that cry out to heaven cry out for hell. And by that he meant a sense somehow, a desire somehow, a longing somehow for retributive justice. Those of us who listen as we do this month three times to Ellie Bissell have an inkling, a glimpse, a hint of what Berger meant, what we know in our experience, that there is a desire that somehow in a way we can't see things be set right. Talk about it bit by bit, 
parents and children. Maybe the polar opposite of this longing for justice is the laughter that comes with humor. The psalmist says, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. And humor is part of what feeds us and reminds us that the human spirit sometimes feels a little cramped in the earthly condition. There's something eternal, lasting, an existential discrepancy in the human being that comes out in wit. I was asked a couple of weeks ago to pray over the beginning of a one-b-b-b-billion-dollar capital campaign for the university, never having done such, and I began by saying, they asked if I would do it, and I said I would. I said it would be my pressure. I mean, I mean my, my pleasure. People will ask about interfaith life, who are the most Christian groups on campus, and they think it's InterVarsity or the Servant Team or the choir. But when I think about love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, I tell them, let me tell you, the most Christian people I deal with week by week are the Hindus, and you'll find them downstairs on Saturday morning. There's a sense that humor gives of building and opening. The older among you will remember Phyllis Diller, called to glory, gone to glory this summer. Maybe you remember her self-deprecating wit. The name she gave her husband, Fang. The name she gave her corpulent mother-in-law, Moby Dick. The name she gave her feisty sister-in-law, Captain Bly. But through it all, that unique, high-pitched laughter. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. It reminds us, this humor does, that there's something eternal in every human being. We who are blessed to have parents and children with whom to speak want over the next Thanksgiving, Christmas, spring break, Easter, and summertime to build a spiritual bridge, to speak heart to heart to one another about order and play and hope and justice and humor. That's what this gospel is telling us. Things aren't quite as they seem. Appearance and reality are not equivalent. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. The one who is last shall be first. The smallest becomes the greatest. And his life is given as a ransom. This is the way Mark explains the cross itself. Meaning today, at least, we shall note that God's life is given up, laid up, laid out, laid down. The divine life, gone. So that human life might thrive. Well, you say, Dean Hill, I, I'm not all that religious. But maybe, just maybe, there is that experience for you even today. Underneath a craving for order, underneath an enjoyment of play, underneath a desire for hope, underneath a longing for justice, underneath the laughter of humor. Right now, a moment 
a presence, a mystery, a breath, breath, breath. A rumor, a rumor of angels. enter now a time of the service when we come to God in prayer. I invite you to sit, to stand, to come to the altar rail as is your tradition, and to join with the choir in singing our call to prayer.
The prayers of the people today are adapted from the Book of Common Prayer. With all our heart and all our mind, let us pray to the Lord, saying, Lord, hear our prayer. For the peace of the world, for the welfare of the Holy Church of God, and for the unity of all peoples, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For all the clergy and people of the church, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For our president, for the leaders of the nations, and for all in authority, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For the good earth, which God has given us, and for the wisdom and will to conserve it, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For the aged and infirm, for the widowed and orphans, for the sick and the suffering, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For all who have died in the hope of resurrection, and for all the departed, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For deliverance from all danger, violence, oppression, and degradation, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For this city of Boston and the community of this Boston University and for all of its members, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Loving and everlasting Father, who knows the prayers in each and every one of our hearts, grant us the peace of your compassion as we hold our prayers before you. In the name of our friend and brother, Jesus Christ, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. And we are so bold to pray in the words that Christ taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. The Lord be with you. Welcome to those in the nave this morning, especially the many parents and family members of our students. And we also welcome those listening on WBUR this morning and by internet signals. 
For those sitting in the pews this morning, I would ask that you find a red pad near the center aisle, put your name in it, and pass it along the pew so the folks there can get to know you better and we can get to know you better here at the chapel this week as well. I would also encourage you to turn to the last page of the bulletin for a few particular announcements of interest for this upcoming week. I would point out that on Thursday afternoons at 1220, there is a seven-minute communion liturgy on Marsh Plaza every Thursday during the academic year. If you'd like to receive between classes, uh, you can do so if you're going to CAS or the School of Theology and still get there on time. And then the blessed elements are there until one o'clock if you'd like to receive. Two particular events going on this week is the Ely Wiesel Lecture on Monday evening. There will be a gathering of folks leaving after community dinner here and going to the lecture a little before 7 o'clock. And then on Friday, Lorelei, the Marsh Chapel Ensemble in Residence, will be having a performance at 8 p.m. Following worship today, there is a luncheon uh, in honor of Parents Weekend, but it's not simply for parents. So if you're a graduate student and you're realizing that your family's not sitting in the pews with you, we certainly invite you to come along too. There'll be a gathering with, of graduate students with Robin Olson here as well this afternoon uh, at the luncheon, and everyone here is welcome to attend. Now, I invite you to meditate on C. Hubert Perry's I was glad when they said unto me as the ushers wait upon us for the offertory. Walk in love as Christ loves us an offering and sacrifice to God.
all-loving God, as we offer our gifts this morning, help us remember that we are on this earth to serve, not be served. May we bestow upon others the same grace and generosity which you bestow upon us all. Amen. Barrister's Hall is right over here by the river. Please join us. A word of benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and always. Amen. <laughs>